Welcome to the Idaboo podcast. Today, I'm talking to Stuart Bentley, who's the MD at Needlestack. Stuart, thank you for coming on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks very much. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Now, we first met back when you were working for RDB, where you left in 2007. That's right, yes. Um, history with RDB goes back a lot longer than that. It goes back to 1996, actually. But um, yeah, I've been associated with the product for, um, for all that time, 21 years in total so far. And you're, you're CRM obsessed? Uh, yeah, completely. <laughs> CRM and efficiency uh, obsessed, yeah. My background is a process engineer, which uh, if, you, if you look it up, you'll see it's all about how you make things quickly, efficiently, cheaply. All the different processes involved, but making things, everything from chemicals and plastics right through to oil and so on. And uh, that carried on through my sales career right into recruitment. And I've always been obsessed about how the recruitment process works and how we can actually make it more efficient, make it more effective and uh, obviously make more money. And, do, and you formed Needlestack? I did, yeah. 2013, I set that up and that's uh, uh, my own company. Really specifically focusing on the recruitment industry and um, and how you go about gaining efficiencies and the proper use of technology. If you were going to give recruiters one tip or recruitment owners one tip to improve their productivity, what would it be? The tip would probably be to exhaust all avenues with technology before you hire more people to do uh, mundane jobs. It's, uh, it's quite common in recruitment that uh, when things get busy, you hire people and you hire people to do fairly routine mundane jobs. But if you stood back for a bit and um, look carefully at the market for technology that's capable of doing many of these jobs, it's often a better investment to, to buy that technology than it is to, to hire lots of people. Can you give, a, can you give an example? An example might be, um, well, your own one, the Edibu one, for instance. Um, Edibu joins so many, uh, so many websites and so many job boards together in one plugin or in one uh, service. Sorry. If people didn't know that existed, uh, they would often think to hire junior people and uh, young graduates or students and so on to publish up their jobs. So Edibu would be a cracking example of uh, where technology would be a, a much more effective solution than hiring people. And of course, you can get the people that are in the business, you can get them doing more constructive, contributing in a more valuable way to the business. Yes, yeah. Recruitment can, I mean, certainly in high volume recruitment can be quite admin heavy. Um, so uh, admin jobs tend to be uh, reasonably low level and you know the more machinery you can have that takes away that hard heavy lifting the more that people can concentrate on the, the real value added stuff you know finding that elusive candidate the nugget for instance uh, or, or making a connection to a client you've not before these things take time and patience you need to be focused on that if you're focused on admin and stuff you, you don't really get to the, the point where you can really be that effective in that area. Well, you, you are, as you said, very much into using technology to stay ahead. And you work with RDB, with the CRM focus. Can you tell us a bit about your approach with CRMs, what, what you believe a CRM should be doing and how people misconfigure or don't use their CRMs properly? Can you give us a bit of, give us your thoughts on that? Yeah, of course. Um, the, the CRM... Uh, so I think it's the tool to drive your business. You know, everybody uses data in a different way and people gather data, use data and uh, have business processes uh, designed on their um, the systems. But often they miss out a lot of the steps to build up to that uh, 
that eventual nirvana. I split my projects into five or six key areas. Initially, uh, working out what a client actually needs is an important step. You know, they don't really know what they need until they've got the benefit of what they've seen all over the market, what they know themselves. So there's a combination of all of those. Um, then the, the technology has to be properly configurable. Not every technology you've got is, uh, is configurable. Some of it's very out of the box and uh, you only can do it their way. Um, and that's not suitable for, for some clients. People often forget as well that uh, data migration is a hard thing to do. You spend years building up data, but you don't often build it in exactly the same format all through the years. So all those previous mistakes and errors have to be accounted for in the migration. And then, of course, training properly. That goes without saying, if you don't train your people how to use the technology, then they're never going to get the best out of it. So that's an important part of any of any project to take people from either no CRM to a better one or from, from one to another, depending on what the, the scenario is. Well, what's the number one misconfiguration or misuse of a CRM that you see when you start consulting to a recruitment business? Most common misuse? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a misuse. It's just an unfortunate unfortunate situation where they don't use all the technology. I have seen situations when people have spent many tens of thousands of pounds only to effectively have a posh phone book. You know, your CRM should should basically keep every point of communication out of the company to the people, to the companies, to the applicants, etc. The full track history of everything that was ever said to everybody should be there. And it's commonly the case that people forget to even switch that function on or use it properly. And then the worst one you see is, uh, is people who have um, whiteboards instead of technology. Um, I'll give you a, a short example, if you like. Um, I went to one company many years ago, who shall rename nameless, and uh, the way they managed their thing was like a war room. On one wall, they had on, it's whiteboards on every wall. So if you imagine three walls, one wall had all their available applicants, one wall had all their available jobs, and on the wall between the two of them, they had all the placements. And what they actually did was they walked from one to another, rubbing things out of the wall, one wall and putting them back in another. And they went through all day like that, like a war room. <laughs> Until the day that they changed their contract cleaning company. And the contract cleaning company decided that these <laughs> walls were fairly messy and wiped a lot. And so you can imagine the, <laughs> the sick feeling that the owner of the business had the next morning when he walked in and found his business was completely out of control. Yeah. And that, to this day, still happens. Yeah, that is quite amazing. And that's not that long ago, I've got to say. Right. When when it comes to things like data management, so you know, managing data, I, I was going, I was thinking we may want to go back to bring in the GDPR subject when it comes to data migration. Get your opinions on how data migration may have changed with GDPR coming into the picture. But when it comes to managing the data that's inside your CRM, do you do you have any rules of thumb that you like to talk to your clients about? Yeah, um, I do. From an applicant's point of view, um, they make a one-time connection to any agency and they often forget which agencies they've connected to. So, so the ones that remain visible and the ones that remain in contact tend to get more attention. Also, once they've registered for a job, you know, if you do come back to them about a potential opportunity, make sure that opportunity is actually right. It's not in the far end of the country and it's not in something they've never done before. You know, there's an important set of workflow rules to be sure that you do the right thing by these people. Data management to me is, is essential to do this job properly, but you'd have to look at industry nowadays to see the people who are, who are really doing it well. You know, some of the modern big businesses only exist because they've got great technology and, and good data management. Examples would be Google, Apple, Amazon. I mean, Amazon alone has uh, 572 million products and 310 million customers. That's two years ago figures I looked up. So 
in that quantity of data points, I mean, that's millions and billions of data points, they have technology that works out who wants what, when, you know, who, who wants to buy a certain type of wine on Friday night, and then they drive those messages back to the likely candidates, you see. Well, most recruitment companies are managing much, much less data and therefore should be able to manage the data properly to get the same kind of sales effect or at least get their, their name in front of people at the right time for the right reasons. Recruiters tend not to manage the data particularly well. They, they would rather mass market people, mass text shot, email shot, whatever. And that, I think, sometimes cheapens the, cheapens the service and um, doesn't help them get the market penetration that they want. Is you, you think that's a historical habit or it's, a, it's just a convenience in terms of getting the job done? Well, convenience, yeah, um, but also a bit of laziness sometimes. You know, if you splice and dice your data properly and really get down to the, the 10 people who would do the job rather than the 110 people who might do the job, you get much better effects and you don't end up spoiling the party for, for the future. There, there's too many people out there who take the easy route to spam everybody all the time and hope for the best, and some of it does stick. But I think going on to the GDPR thing, they're going to open up a, a much much more risk of, of disaffected candidates making subject action subject access requests and being a bit malicious about this you see so i think that gdpr might put the brakes on it slightly when it comes to mass emailing agreed uh, do you do you have any other views on on gdpr and and how that will affect the industry it's not something i'm as close to as i'd like to at this stage i'm, I'm probably just a bit too busy in other projects just now to to get closer to it all but i i do think it's going to be a bit like the awr uh, regulations as they were, um, where people are going to take some time to really bed in what they want to do, bed in what, what can they can do. There's obviously no court cases yet for anybody who's been taken you know, for a lot of money for it, so that would be the first precedent people we be worried about. Um, I don't know in, deep, in depth enough to, to comment on that, but uh, I do think that if you're going to at least, not necessarily insure yourself, but at least give yourself a, a fair chance of not being in trouble, you, you have to not give yourselves that headache by mass marketing everybody that you've never spoken to before. Possibly delete some data that's not used to you, or if you're not deleting data, then at least be careful when you when you do write back to them that it's something valid. With the opt-in, when it comes to data migration now, and you need to look at the opt-in status of candidates, what mm. what additional checks are you doing with your either existing clients or new clients? With the existing clients who are in the process just now of, of moving forward in the project, Mostly the question I'm asking them, are you absolutely sure these people are opted in and want to be migrated? Often the clients can't tell you that, so they have to use some other technology or some other way of, of contacting these people to find out whether or not they're opted in or not. It, it's unfortunately difficult for most of these people because a lot of the data they hold on people came from the people themselves, but those people have forgotten that they sent that data. Yes. You see, so having forgotten they've sent that data, the reminder that they sent that data is, is all very well, but... It, it's likely to be ignored. I would reckon that a mass email shot from, say, you know, 100,000 candidates for a, a decent-sized business, if they get more than 5% actually coming back to them, I would be surprised. Most of them will be uh, either bounce-backs or people who will ignore it. So what, what, what do you think people are going to do? They've got an amazing job opportunity. They've got a great candidate match, but they don't mm -hmm. have permission to contact the candidate. What do you think is going to happen? I think they will actually contact the candidate anyway. <laughs> That's what will happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think so. Yeah, recruiters are, you know, if they see the money and, the, you know, the money's in front of them when they can see the best candidate with the best job, they're not likely to go, I better not contact. Because yeah. let's face it, we, the recruitment's all about putting good opportunities in front of people 
And often as not, people will be interested to hear a good opportunity. When was the last time you said to a company, no, I don't want to hear about your stinking opportunity that pays me more money and is a better job than I have? There's very few people who will do that. They'll ignore it or politely say thanks, but no thanks. But I don't see there's any point in a candidate taking it to the final extreme of, I'm going to take you to court for GDPR problems. You're only likely to get that if you consistently spam somebody with things that are unnecessary. Well, I know that you know, as as you mentioned earlier, you're very much into getting the maximum out of uh, out of systems and and looking for opportunities. What what opportunities are you seeing in the this slightly worrying world of GDPR? What what opportunities do you see? Opportunities in terms of so, uh, well, other technologies. We, you know, GDPR is a reality that that the industry accepts and, and moves on with. And if we're talking in perhaps eighteen months' time. There'll be discussions about the companies that took GDPR and baked it into a opportunity. Probably, you know, there's clearly a marketing opportunity there, as an example. Mm-hmm. People don't want to be spammed. So a company that becomes laser focused in who they contact for with the right opportunities becomes appreciated is seen much more positively than the equivalent spam, spamming company. So I, I just wondered, I know that you're a, a identifier of opportunity. Uh, what yes. What do you think? Are there any other take takeaways that you've got from GDPR in in terms of seeing the positive? Well, yeah, one thing that does does spring to mind is uh, is modification of your of your current technology. If, you, if your current uh, CRM technology is, is built in such a way that it can uh, deal with uh, GDPR properly, as in gather the permissions and do something with those permissions, um, you know, you would you'd be in a far better place to not trip up if that makes sense. I mean, for example, you know, the, the RDB work that I, what I deal with just now, they, they're working on uh, various different ways to gather permissions and have those permissions mean something inside the CRM. And so you know, that will all be ready and out, the, uh, out in the marketplace uh, before the date uh, that uh, GDPR becomes law. Um, so it's an opportunity for, for people who've got plugins and, and you know, plugged in technology that helps with that. Um, you know, it's obviously a short time uh, available until that has to be is in law. So um, between now and uh, at the end of May, um, those who can see those opportunities should be working fairly frantically to, to get that to market. You you mentioned the other day when we were, we were talking secured signing and and that you're a big fan of it. Can you could you give a bit of background to that? Yeah, secured signing is a company in New Zealand who, who offer up a digital uh, signature technology on all documents. And uh, digital signatures are um, and the sort of posh end of uh, electronic online signing. And digital signing is, is slightly more um, advanced in terms of the way that the, the signatures gather. It gathers uh, things like the passcodes, IP addresses, email addresses, date and time, and um, all of that lot together goes together with a, a public key, whereby the signature is properly embedded into a document. And the reason it's more secure is because once that is embedded in the document, uh, it can't be cracked open. It can't be you can't you invalidate the document by trying to mess about with the signature. Whereas electronic signatures are usually nothing more than a cut and paste um, into a document, which yeah. with a decent PDF reader and uh, a bit of cut and paste of your own signature or even a removal of a signature, um, you can actually invalidate um, any documents you, you have that you think are, are signed. And so it's the modern equivalent of, of proper signing and witnessing um, and documents. Now, it comes from New Zealand, like I say, and New Zealand uh, supplies that market in Australia, which is very document heavy, very compliance heavy, lots of documents, lots of forms. And so the technology, uh, when, they, when they took it to the UK here, I got involved by, via, by the RDB um, connection. 
So they made a plugin, which means the two things are joined together, and you never leave the database to do all the signed documents. And it's everything from forms and opt-outs, opt-ins, uh, bank stuff, uh, employment details, all these things you gather from someone. And, and the one thing we did with, it, with the plugin is we actually made it one stage further in that everything that's filled into a form gets automatically entered to every field in the database, which means that there's no admin at all for anybody um, using the database and secure settings in combination. Yeah, great. So if I, if I send you a form that has, I don't know, 60 fields to fill in, yeses, nos, names, that kind of thing, when the form comes back to the database, everything goes to the database fields and the form gets stayed there as well. There's no admin. And it's very cheap and it's very uh, simple, works really well. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's good technology. Great. Yeah, it sounds very good. Sounds very good. And the, I agree that the copy-paste signature methodology, is, it, it, it has no major security there, really, does it? it? It doesn't, that's right. And if it was ever challenged in court and could be proven that it was easily easily manipulated or changed, um, I, I don't think you know any challenge uh, on a document that has that kind of flaw uh, could really stand up. So but digital signatures do exactly that. It cannot be cracked. Do you have other areas in terms of you know, subject today? Of course, we, we talked about staying ahead of the curve in recruitment tech. What other areas of recruitment tech do you think are worth touching on? Well, I'm looking at a, a partnership now with a company in Australia um, who uh, offer up uh, what's called uh, well, artificial intelligence. So chatbots, you know, chatbots in things like Facebook or on your own website. And these chatbots interrogate your own database. Right. Um, so basically, yes, the people out there are chatting to a machine, but the machine is uh, preloaded with uh, your typical questions and typical scenarios, as well as natural language um, queries. So you can chat to it all day, but it can do things like um, fish out data from the database that you want to know, or, or if you want to advise your availability, it can change the database in such a way that whatever you say in your Facebook chat is reflected in the database. So that's really interesting technology. I how, think, how accurate uh, is that? Well, for the questions it's pre-programmed for, it's very accurate, but uh, it's a it's a constant learning process. It's constantly learning as in the questions you get. Occasionally, there'll be something it can't answer. So when you get one of those, it's, uh, it comes back to the developers who basically retune the, the, the bot to do more things. So, yeah, it's constantly learning. Do you have more use cases? Use cases of artificial intelligence. Well, in terms of uh, chatbots, chatbots and recruitment. You, you mentioned people being able to give their update their availability as one example. Do you have other oh, examples? I see, yeah. yeah, well, data cleansing would be an example and also compliance. Um, a good one for compliance would be um, the bot can, can um, interrogate your record on the database and perhaps you know, for compliance reasons you need a passport. So it could actually ask the person to take a picture of the passport, which would then make its way to the database properly. This is while the chat's going on. So the person decides to make the chat and then the machine asks for the stuff that's missing from the database, puts it into the database properly, and no human involved. So it's constant data cleansing. You could also tie that in with uh, other things such as like a sickness and availability, or uh, could I, you know, wh when's my next assignment starting? Who is my boss? What time do I go there? Have I been paid yet? You know, there's kind of questions that would take up a lot of time for a recruitment company to consistently be answering and people on the phone and so on. Whereas if a machine can answer these things for you, it's far more efficient. And, and let's not forget, I'm, I'm not getting any younger. People like my, my sons, uh, the millennials of this world, they, um, they work in chat, they work in technology all the time. They don't do anything but on their phone. So 
rather than speak to people and write emails, they would rather chat to a bot, and they do that all the time and everything else. So that's the way these guys don't wait for anything. They want it all now. Well, it's uh, interesting the the way Asia operates. You know, email, mm. you don't get email out here, really. It's really? hardly ever used. Everyone uses Line or whatever chat program. Mm-hmm. And that, that that is the equivalent of uh, email out here, especially in China. Mm-hmm. Well, imagine that automated where you're talking to your database record. It's yes. telling you what it knows. You're telling you it what it what needs to know. And then recruiters are using that record in, in all its accuracy to do the right things by, by the person. I suppose what's interesting about what you're saying, in contrast perhaps to how people might perceive chatbots as being perhaps a waste of time, is that you, you could see a chatbot being annoying if you think, well, I'm talking to a, to a bot here and I, I'd really like to speak to a human. But if the chatbot can be updating your data in, in real time in the background, then it's yes, more right. efficient than speaking to a human. Very much more efficient, that's right. And it can be done 24-7 whenever it suits. Um, the human's only available eight hours a day and five yeah. days a week normally. So, yeah, it can be a, a, an on, always on the ball recruiting assistant. Well, and uh, I think a lot more of that say, is going to become prevalent in, the, in years to come because people want quicker answers, more accurate answers. And, you know, it's not right to be hiring lots and lots of people just in case people might ask questions. It's right to make the technology available so they can ask as many questions as they like. Yes. Well, do, Stuart, if you could tell us a bit about uh, Needlestack. Yeah, of course. Um, well, we started in um, 2013 in November. And uh, since then, we've been doing lots of different work with uh, various sizes of clients, um, two users through to 200 users. And it's been uh, really a good journey so far. I've traveled the world with it. Um, a lot of what I do is uh, implementation of of CRMs, uh, specifically RDB in my case. And, um, and occasionally, one of the calls I get often is people who've got it already but don't quite use it well enough. So a bit of uh, you know, relearning, reconfiguring, and uh, re-energizing people who've got the, uh, the software but want to do better with it. So we're doing that and um, some other things as well. We, we used to recruit, um, but we got so busy with technology that we stopped recruiting. And uh, we do a bit on Dynamics 365 as well uh, for other clients which are not to do with recruitment. But yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting place to be and it's good fun. And where can people find out more about you and, and Needlestack? Sure, well, look up Stuart Bentley on, uh, on LinkedIn and um, look up uh, www.needlestack.co.uk and uh, you'd find all the details in there. The reason for the Needlestack name, by the way, is just a play on words, really. It used to be finding a needle in a haystack, which to me was a bit daft. If you want to find a needle, go to a Needlestack. So the idea is all the best things in one place. So we, we have partner technologies, we have partner service providers, people who do um, uh, training, we've got a, a, a data center who do remote access computing. I've actually got a GDPR consultancy I'm working with as well in the, in the Aberdeen area. And of course, Edibu as well. And we do some work with Edibu and with various clients in various uh, parts of the world. So long may that continue. Great. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to me today. And um, I hope plenty of people get in touch. It's uh, great to speak to you and hear about what you do. Thank you very much. That's fantastic. Thank you, then. If you'd like to find out more about Idaboo and our candidate acquisition services, email us at hello at idaboo, I-D-I-B-U, dot com, and one of the team will be in touch. Thanks very much.